My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. special Veterans Day edition of Bad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? Well, I got a lot of friends with me here today. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Jeez, you'd think we might get a reprieve on the first session after Veterans Day, especially when it's the 100-year anniversary of the ceasefire that ended World War I. But no, today we went right back to the trenches. And not just any trenches. This was a Verdun-style meat grinder. Dow plunging 602 points. S&P plummeting 1.92%. The NASDAQ, the NASDAQ nosediving 2.78%. Now, the thing behind today's action is surprisingly simple. Money managers are buying the winners. Buy, buy, buy! And selling the losers. Unfortunately, there are a heck of a lot more losers than winners. And I want to put that into context because such behavior, frankly, is highly unusual this close to the end of the year. So what's behind the dramatic decline and how can it be stopped? What could make this market bottom? Well, we need to see seven things before we get a sustainable comeback, and I'm going to give you the list. First, the largest capitalization stock in the world, Apple, needs to stop going down. It's a tall order. We keep getting new negatives that frustrate buyers. On the earnings conference call, we heard that the company will no longer be breaking out the number of iPhones it sells in a given quarter. Then we learned of large Apple order cutbacks, including two that we can infer. Skyworks Solutions last week, good company. And then Lumentum today. Skyworks is integral to the nuts and bolts of cell phone signals. A lot of other stuff will pile out if you ever break open a cell phone. Please don't. Lumentum's all about facial recognition kind that Apple uses. After today, there's no denying that Apple has some sort of problem selling some of its phones. Is it China? Is it developing world? Is it southern here in America? We don't know. Maybe it's nothing. Then again, maybe it's something. The question is, what's the solution? I think solution is what I call price. At some point, the stock will pull back to a level where the service revenue plus the overall love for Apple's phones cause buyers to come in. Judging by the ferocity of the decline and the fact that the stock is still falling even after the close, it's up more, more than $11 in total. We aren't there yet. Second, the FANG stocks, boy, I created that thing and now it's just getting, it can't find its footing. That's right. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Alphabet, the company formerly known as Google, they need to be able to stabilize. These names used to be the market leaders. They represented a huge fraction of the market's strength. Now they are the epicenter of the weakness of this market. Facebook may actually be doing K at this point. We don't know. But the company is still tainted by its rapacious actions. They need to start behaving better to put this stuff behind them. I used to harp on Facebook to bring in someone from the outside, an adult, to help clean up their mess. They're not going to do it, which is too bad because I think they're making a big mistake. I think it's hurting them from finding a bottom. Amazon's done nothing wrong. In fact, I think their business is doing exceptionally well. But Amazon gave you a downbeat forecast when they spoke, and it kiboshed everything. I bet it does stabilize first of all the fang names. Netflix is hard. It's hard because the idea of basing the stock price on the company's subscriber growth, it seems like it's disappeared. Netflix needs to go still lower before the incredible subgrowth will matter again. Again, price 
price cures it. See, I got to say, Alphabet is the biggest conundrum here. Their stock is pretty inexpensive. They have more than $100 billion in cash. They own search. They own online video. They own the self-driving car market, at least for now. I think it's an outright buy. But no one cares. All this will start mattering at some lower price, though. That said, people are too negative about Alphabet right here, and I suspect the bears will come to regret selling it. The third essential ingredient we need to bake a bottom? Well, we need Fed Chairman Jerome Powell to admit that he's winning the war against inflation. Ideally, he should announce it in December when he does the next, and I think, necessary rate hike. We do need that. He should say at that point, you know what? Rather than have three more rate hikes in 2019, why don't we wait a bit? Why don't we wait a bit and see what happens? He needs to be prudent. Even better, he could tell us that he doesn't want to be the reason why we are thrown into a recession. He's not said that either. Powell does not need to say that rate hikes are off the table. He just needs to say he sees concrete evidence that the rate hikes so far are working to tame inflation. And they are. The price of oil is plummeting off another dollar and change today. And that had been a source of persistent inflation. Many materials are declining in price pretty precipitously. Home sales and home prices are starting to go down because mortgage rates are at at 5%. So let's say you own a house with a 4% mortgage or less. Well, you're, you're more than likely to stay put because it would be a big jump up in mortgage. Your interest is going to go up a lot. A weaker housing market may sound uh, not like that bad a thing, right? But don't forget, Powell thinks it is his job to slow the economy in order to prevent inflation. To be fair, that's part of his job, just part of it, though. But the way the Fed tames inflation is by slamming the brakes on the economy so that wages stop rising. You know what? I think that's ill-advised. Who cares if we have just a little more inflation as long as it means that people who work for a living can finally get some much-needed raises? Unfortunately, the Federal Reserve cares. I think it's misguided. Fourth, we need something good to happen with our Chinese policy. Some sign that China will cooperate and agree to stop acting in bad faith when it comes to trade. When we admitted China to the World Trade Organization, the idea was that they'd liberalize their economy, which they sort of done, and maybe even democratize their institutions, which they haven't done at all. The problem with our trade war is that it's not a trade war. It's really a policy of containment. And why would the Chinese agree to being contained? If you listen to Vice President Pence, who's the leader of this, it's even worse uh, that, that he sounds like he wants regime change in Beijing. So maybe the White House doesn't really care about making the deal. Maybe they just want to marginalize the People's Republic. Still, I don't want to rule out something good happening at the G20 meeting next month. Why? Because the Chinese economy is slowing faster than most people realize. And when the tariffs automatically increase next year, it will hurt them a lot more than it hurts us. Many American companies are frantically moving their orders to Cambodia, to Thailand, to Vietnam. It's a huge drain on the Chinese economy, and it's accelerating. But it's possible the Communist Party would rather wreck their own economy than be seen bowing to America. Fifth, the dollar. The the dollar's got to stop going higher. Stocks trade based on earnings estimates. The strong dollar, which continues to accelerate versus pretty much every other currency, seems unstoppable. That's bad for the earnings of most companies. So despite the lower energy costs, the earnings estimates for next year are still too high. It is a real headwind. Six, the flight to quality must end. Right now, almost every consumer packaged goods stock, Mondelez, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, Clorox, Coca-Cola, they keep rallying. Even on hideous days like this one, it's a bad sign. Same with the drug stocks. This says money managers are hiding in stocks that do well in a recession. Finally, GE, 
This stock needs to bottom, for heaven's sake. This morning, my colleague David Favor pulled up with Larry Cole. He's the CEO. And they talked about how the company can turn it around. Well, all I heard was it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of time, and then a lot of time. If that's the case, why own it? Worse, why not sell it? The bottom line. Some, if not all, of these things has to occur. Something has to occur before this market can find a sustainable bottom. Everything else is just a phony false floor not to be trusted. Let's take a question. Sir, it's on you. But booyah, Dr. Kramer. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you do uh, for all of us uh, sitting at home watching your show. Well, thank you for serving. Uh, I have a question about AMD. Sure. With the uh, news coming out that... Um, that they're getting into uh, business deals with Amazon, sure. uh, into the cloud sector, Intel's uh, issues with their chips. Do you see them gaining significant amount of market share in the technology sector? And if so, how high do you think that the stock can go? Uh, this is a great question, sir, because the answer is they are taking tremendous market share. They did not have a perfect quarter last time, which is why the stock only went from 34 down to 20, and then it dropped to 18. If we did not have such a bear market in semiconductors, I would tell you to buy it right now. But they are taking share, and Lisa Sue's doing a remarkable job, and the time is near where you should buy it for precisely the reasons you gave. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. A big booyah from Massachusetts. Jim. There you go. All the way down from Massachusetts. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. My question is, keeping in mind the market turbulence, the political turbulence, interest rates rising, and we're later in the cycle, what would you advise someone in their 50s who's fully invested in a diversified portfolio as far as maybe backing off their investments 10 years out from retirement. Okay, that's a really good point. I mean, look, I am older than you. I still maintain for my mutual funds, I'm out of own stocks, a considerable stock position, but I also have a considerable cash position now uh, for if the market comes down. I'm up to, I'm probably 80, 20, 80 stock, 20, uh, 20 cash. Maybe you should be 90, 10 because you're younger than I am. I don't want to leave the stock market. Why? Because you're earning so little on your cash. But yes, I would increase it. I would increase it. Don't be fully invested here. I think it'd be a mistake. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for having us. Of course, thank you. Petty Officer Hudson from the Coast Guard all the way from North Carolina. Fantastic. Thank My you My question is, uh, is there anywhere to hide with the current market? Well, look, I mean, I think that the issue is the, the word current. I think that that word is a uh, kind of a, a not constructive word in the sense that we're all trying to think longer term because I don't have anything good for you uh, current. I do think, though, that this market over many years will be a good one and that there are individual stocks that are coming down, being pulled down by ETFs that are going to get there, going to be where it is going to be a good place to buy. I just can't be encouraging right now. And boy, do I ever want to be. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. What's going on, Jim? How much? I'm from uh, the great state of Iowa, and I've been watching your show since I was in eighth grade when we had an eighth grade stock market project. Oh, fantastic. So it was a pretty cool moment for me to be able to... And people said that young people would not be interested in the market. Precisely untrue, because they know how expensive it is to go to college. they got to start saving when they're five. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my question is in regards to China, um, and I know it depends on the specifics of the deal, but what sectors would you see um, get a major lift if a deal could be completed? Well, there would be the huge industrials. Uh, that are do so much business with China, the big international companies like the United Technologies. And then, look, let's just call it a spade. Apple. Apple would be the big winner. All right? Okay. We can't trust this false floor. These seven things need to happen 
before we can find a true bottom. I know, tall order. On a very special Mad Money Invest in America, salute to the troops. It's one of the most iconic brands in the business and has created thousands of jobs for veterans along the way. I've got the exclusive with Starbucks CEO. Hear more about the future of the world's coffee giant. Then, you know what they say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Boy, what happens when it comes to yield? I'm offering up a few case studies. And how a former U.S. Air Force cyber warrior used his experience to become CEO of a security powerhouse. Don't miss my exclusive with FireEye CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. On a brutal day like this, it's key to keep your eye on the prize and pay attention to long-term winners. I'm talking about Starbucks, which barely got dinged today. Not only are these guys winners, but they made a commitment to continue winning by hiring the best of the best. Roughly five years ago, Starbucks made a pledge to hire 10,000 veterans by 2018. Do you know they hit that target by the end of 2016? Then last year, the company set out a new goal, hiring 25,000 veterans or spouses of veterans by 2025. Just a few days ago, we learned that they'd already hired 21,000 people. A lot of people talk about supporting the troops. Starbucks is actually doing it. And hey, maybe they've got some good karma because a week and a half ago, Starbucks reported a fabulous blowout quarter and sent its stock flying into the stratosphere. So let's take a closer look with Kevin Johnson. He's the CEO of Starbucks, who is coming to us from one of Starbucks's military family stores in San Diego. To hear more about what he's doing for our veterans and where his company is headed. Mr. Johnson, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, good afternoon. I'm joining you from a Starbucks right outside Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. So it's great to be here today. All right. So tell me about how you recruited these people to come to work for Starbucks and what you're doing nationally for veterans. Well, you know, Jim, as you mentioned uh, in the introduction, we made a commitment five years ago uh, to hire 10,000 veterans or military spouses. Uh, and we did that recognizing that the number of men and women that have served our country for, for multiple tours of duty for many, many years were transitioning back into civilian life. And we felt like we have an opportunity to play a role. So we put an infrastructure together to reach out and recruit uh, these veterans and military spouses. And thus far, as you said, we now uh, are at 21,000 uh, that we've hired on a commitment for 25,000 by the year 2025. And I'll tell you, Jim, these veterans make us a better company, and they make these better communities. How hard is it to get to the vets? And what are the obstacles for veterans to find jobs where you have really made a commitment to try to help all of them, not necessarily going to Starbucks? Well, you know, one way we reach our veterans is, you know, we've built now 50 Starbucks military family stores that are either on or near military bases around the country. And that's one place where we've hired a number of veterans, military spouses. 
and they have the opportunity to connect with veterans in their communities in these stores, make them aware of the opportunities that we have for them to join Starbucks. And it's not just joining Starbucks. It's joining Starbucks with the full range of benefits we offer, health care. And one of the benefits that we find uh, really is attractive to veterans is our college achievement uh, program that we have in partnership with ASU. Uh, so we put out a, a broad, uh, broad set of, uh, of uh, initiatives to reach these veterans, recruit them, and then create an opportunity for them uh, to transition into civilian life and have a great career. Now, you have donned the apron, as I like to say, put on the green apron and worked directly with people. How are the veterans, what do they like to work with? Well, these are fantastic people. These are people that work in the service of others. These are people that are mission-driven. These are people that care about getting results as a team. They're resourceful, they're creative, and they are phenomenal Starbucks partners. And I'm always proud to put on the green apron and, and serve next to one of our military veterans uh, or military spouses. Uh, they are fantastic, fantastic Starbucks partners. Well, I'd be remiss not to give you a chance to talk about the turn. And the turn is real. Engineered by you, bought back a lot of stock in the 50s. Now the stock's in the high 60s. Isn't going down despite the turmoil of the market. Why don't you give me some of the thoughts about how to turn around an organization? because that is not an easy feat. Well, Jim, you know that this, this whole uh, turnaround started 18 months ago with a whole set of initiatives to streamline the company so that we could get more focused on the core value drivers of Starbucks. And so, you know, with, with the transitions we made of another number of retail markets, with uh, the Global Coffee Alliance, with Nestle, with a number of business simplification moves, we're now putting the entire focus of our leadership team, our deployment of capital into the things that matter the most. And uh, if you look at the results that we've had in our two largest markets, the U.S. and China, you know, we're making good progress there. Uh, we admit there's still more to do, but really posted some good numbers. And then certainly the Global Coffee Alliance with Nestle is something that is just now kicking in, and I think that's going to pay dividends uh, for years and years to come uh, for Starbucks and for Nestle. And you obviously believe in the organization because you, you took some of the money that you got from them and really were a voracious buyer of stock in the low 50s because you believed in your team. Well, that's right, Jim. When you're driving a growth at scale agenda and the stock price was as low as it was, we were very aggressive in buying that stock because we believe in Starbucks as a brand, we believe in the strategy we are on, and we are now delivering against that. And I think shareholders have seen that, and I think that's part of what uh, caused the stock to move so much here over the last week. But we're playing the long game. And so, you know, much of this uh, buying back our stock is the acknowledgement that we think we've got a, one of the world's most admired and trusted brands, and we've got the right strategy to really drive the growth agenda here over the next several years. We have so many uh, problems every day, it seems, with China. You've been there. Starbucks is a huge employer. What is the temperature that you see between the United States and China? Well, you know, Jim, I was in China last week uh, and spent several days in Shanghai and uh, had the opportunity to really connect with a number of uh, of key leaders and business leaders and our partners in China. You know, and certainly, you know, we operate in 78 countries around the world, and so we deal with geopolitical situations all the time. You know, we're not immune to them, but because we really have built uh, Starbucks in China for China, it really is operating as an entity in China that's relevant to the consumer, to the culture, and we're playing the long game. So we haven't seen any significant impacts from the uh, geopolitical situation between the U.S. and China. 
Uh, but that said, we're not immune, but we're going to stay focused to our plan and execute and play the long game. You know, let me ask you about business versus government, Kevin. It seems like right now that business is playing more of an ambassadorial role than government itself, uh, and not just in the United States, but around the world. Business is a force of good, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, Jim. I, I actually think the relationships that we have with uh, with our partners in China, Starbucks partners in China, but also Chinese companies. You know, we we did I did a partnership with the Alibaba Group, uh, you know, China's largest tech company, and uh, the relationship I have with Daniel and their leadership team is phenomenal. And we're just trying to we work together to find solutions. We work together to find things that are win-win for both both companies and for our customers. And so I think by engaging with sort of an attitude of optimism and how can we collaborate, you know, to create a, a better environment for all, we can find great paths forward. All right, uh, last question. Do you get asked a lot of people by whatever country you go to, is your former CEO, Howard Schultz, going to run for president? And we sure wish he did. Is that a constant question to you? You know, Jim, I get that question a lot, and I think Howard has, uh, has been very clear that, you know, he's evaluating a range of uh, possibilities for this next chapter in his life, and I always leave those questions to Howard, and I stay focused on Starbucks. Well, and that's probably why Starbucks' stock has been so great. I want to thank you for everything you've done for people who have served for our, for our nation. Thank you so much to Kevin Johnson. He is doing a fantastic job and doing it with the men and women who have served our country. Thank you, sir. Man Money's back into the break. rebound over the past couple of weeks, this seesaw of a market started getting pummeled again. In a volatile environment like this one, we're always searching for stocks that can give us some kind of stability, stocks we can hold on to for dear life and buy more of into weakness. But how do you do that when you can't trust the day-to-day -day prices? Well, you can always go after companies with good dividends. A 4 or 5% yield may not sound like that much when you've got tech stocks up 20 or 30% and then going down for the year, but dividends are magic. Why do I say that? Because they can compound. You take your dividend, reinvest it in the stock, and now you're earning dividends on your dividends. Albert Einstein famously called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Over the long haul, a company that consistently pays you large dividends will give you some phenomenal returns, even if the stock itself doesn't move very much at all. For example, a stock with a 6% yield will double your money in 12 years, even if the share price stands still. But, and this is the world's biggest but, you need to be very careful when you're chasing higher yielders, yielders for Einstein's miraculous compounding effect. You might think that investing in companies with huge dividends would be the safest thing in the world, but it's not. The risks are enormous if you don't know the pitfalls you need to watch out for. And that's what I want to tell you about tonight. Because a big dividend is only worth having if the underlying company can actually pay it. Look at what happened to Anheuser-Busch recently. Anheuser-Busch InBev. That's the global beer titan that aptly trades under the symbol BUD, B-U-D. Or look what happened to General Electric. Two big cap stocks that have been pummeled since they cut their dividends. With GE falling to its lowest level since the financial crisis. 
The moral of the story, as much as we love dividends, they're only worth chasing after if your payout is safe. So if you want some income from your stocks, you need to watch out for red flags. You need, you need to watch out for the one I just threw at Keith, my cameraman. I told you many times to beware of stocks with sky-high yields. When you see something sporting an 8% yield, it's often a sign that investors believe that the dividend is about to get cut. So they sold the stock down, and that pushes the yield even higher. But there's another red flag for you need to watch for. The thing that doomed the payouts from Bud and GE companies with debt-laden balance sheets and lousy fundamentals. You can't rely on them to keep paying consistent dividends. So why don't we do this? Why don't we drill down to what's happened at Bud and GE? And then then maybe I'll tell you what else I'm worried about. Anheuser-Busch in Bed Bud has been in a tough spot for years. The company built up a mountain of debt thanks to a series of major acquisitions, the most recent being the purchase of SAB Miller two years ago. As soon as the ink dried, it became clear that the beer business was slowing, especially in the United States. In the U.S., it's an outright decline. So Bud decided to seek its growth elsewhere, doubling down on faster-growing emerging markets, places where Budweiser is seen as a premium brand. But then a couple of weeks ago, the company reported a not-so-hot quarter with weaker-than-expected results across the board. Worse, they rebased, yeah, rebased uh, the dividend, which I guess is management speak for cutting it in half. Suddenly, instead of a 5.2% yield, the stock had a 2.6% yield. Why? Because Bud has $109 billion in debt, and most of that debt is denominated in dollars. The problem, less than 25% of Bud's sales come from the United States. And the, very, and the dollar, which has been very strong lately, which I said at the top of the show, means all of their sales in euros or pesos have to translate, and they translate into fewer greenbacks. Look at it this way. Bud does a lot of business in Latin America, and in some ways, they're like a troubled Latin American government. Think Argentina. They're sixth largest market. When the Argentine peso plummets, they need to take severe action in order to keep paying their dollar-denominated debts. It's an ugly situation. No wonder the stock got pulverized. All right, how about how about General Electric? The tragedy here is that it's taken the company so long to fathom the full depth of its problems. Between an ugly power business and some horrific long-term care insurance policies that they sold for a pittance many years ago, among many other suboptimal decisions, GE is indeed in trouble. The former CEO, John Flannery, cut the dividend half a year ago from 24 cents to 12 cents a quarter. After Flannery was let go and the board brought in Larry Colt, formerly of Danner, a great company, as the new CEO, he realized that the problems were worse than the company had acknowledged, and he slashed the payout down to a penny per share in order to shore up its balance sheet. He should have raised equity when he had a chance, offering a lot of stock. He didn't. This was totally predictable. I know that because we predicted another dividend cut back when GE seemed seemed to have a 4.3% yield. Many investors got burned, hopefully not you. So what other dividends might potentially be in danger? Well, I can think of one company that shares a ton of characteristics with both Bud and General Electric. And that's a household brand, Kraft Heinz. Now, candidly, this company hasn't said anything to suggest they might be willing to cut their dividend. And I don't necessarily think their payout will be in danger anytime soon. In other words, I am not saying it's going to get cut. I am saying it shares characteristics with other stocks where the dividend has been cut. I'm not sure I would sleep easily at night if I own this stock for a yield. Kraft Heinz has seen its stock get slammed this year for one simple reason. The company's star for growth. 
Now, Kraft Heinz sports a 4.7% yield here, which is high enough to be attractive even with rising interest rates, but not so high that it suggests we need to worry about its safety. But Kraft Heinz has a lot in common with Bud. For starters, they were both created when 3G Capital, the huge Brazilian money manager, orchestrated some epic mergers. So when Bud slashed its dividend, that was a yellow flag for Kraft Heinz. And now 3G seems to be cooling on the stock. You know, and they sold 20 million shares in August. That's not a very confident sign. Second, the company has a lot of debt, $32 billion, which is pretty substantial for a $65 billion company. Worse, Kraft Heinz had nearly $3 billion in debt come due this year, and they repaid it by borrowing more money. And doing that in the future will get increasingly expensive if interest rates keep rising. And just like Bud, we're seeing a secular shift away from Kraft Heinz's core products in the center of the aisle of the supermarket. That's where the millennials don't go. Natural and organic, this stuff is not. The bottom line, there is no such thing as a large dividend you can take for granted. Just like we saw with Bud and GE, a hideous balance sheet and slowing fundamentals are a toxic brew that can put your dividend in danger. So if you want income, watch for that or else you might just get burned. Let's take questions. Yes, ma'am. Hello, I'm uh, Sergeant First Class Tony Walker from Joint Base McGuire Dix Lakehurst, New Jersey. Oh, I hope you enjoyed Friday's show with Scott Wapner, where we yes. had people in Black Hawk helicopter. My friend oh. Stephanie Link said she had a great time. Yes, Thank my you. husband's a, a former uh, Apache instructor pilot, and uh, when he retired, I joined the Army, and I joined at 40. So we, we did a shift change. That's fantastic. So, Thank anyway, you both. Thanks Thank for you. his support. <laughs> So my question is this. Um, about two years ago, I tried to wean myself off of sodas. And I know you said to buy stock in um, things that you buy. So right. I started buying sparkling water. And I bought um, Fizz. You bought a, Fizz? I bought Fizz at about $45 a share. And I, this year, it's gone up to, up to about $127 at its highest. But lately, with the publicity on the lawsuit against them, with them having uh, saying that claiming that there's insecticide a com- right. chemical which is actually created in the lab and also is in naturally in blueberries. So they're just saying that, you know, that it's not. Yeah. And with, me, with the bad publicity, should I, should I hold it? Yeah, Stay I on want to, you to it. Hold I know it. PepsiCo is making bubbly. Uh, so I was going to sell it and buy PepsiCo. Well, look, I love PepsiCo. Mm-hmm. And I love Coca-Cola, but I like what you own, too. Okay. Uh, you do have a big gain. No one ever got hurt taking a profit. But, yeah, I mean, that's a special company, and it's done quite well. But you're right. To, you seem to know the risk more than I can tell you. But I maybe take some off. The other two are good, too. Thank you. Thank yes, you. sir. Yeah, Jim, big army hua to you. Done your way. Hey, listen, I'm looking for income. So I'm looking at an index overwrite fund that pays 7%. But then I'm also comparing that to something else, a growth dividend stock, such as American Waterworks, pays 2%, growing. And with the water waste, water services uh, being required going forward, what do you think about that? One? Gee, I like American Waterworks very, very much. Now, there's nothing wrong with the mutual fund that that uh, it gives you dividend power. I think that's terrific. But in terms of an individual stock that has that is safe, that has done a miraculous job, where the compounding is good, American Waterworks is excellent. Thank you. Yes, sir. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Everett, retired Army, Connecticut. Thank you. Uh, at the end of a positive earnings call. Uh, Monster and Coke both came out saying uh, there was a arbitration case. Yeah. Uh, Monster Tank. What do you think about that? They I both came know. out at the same time. Sir, I was on that call, and I've got to tell you, suddenly I found out that Coca-Cola was allowed to compete with Monster in Europe. I was always thinking that maybe Monster was going to get bought by Coca-Cola. Clearly not. Monster's a sale. 
fuck can I say? It's just a kill. And, you know, I've liked it for a long time. All right. In this seesaw market, I know stability is what you crave. And that's what that means you go for companies with big dividends. But remember, dividends are not always safe and do not take them for granted. Much more mad money at, including my conversation with the CEO of FireEye. How the company is protecting your data from the new war front taking shape in cyberspace. Then, with the market dropping today, trying to figure out who's making the calls when it comes to the averages, I'm investigating. Plus, our nation's heroes fire off stocks after, well, we got a very special lightning round. It's a salute to the troops event on Mad Money. Stick with Kramer. Lieutenant Benninger here coming at you from Camp Lemonade, Djibouti. Just want to give a shout out to my friends and family back home, Syracuse, New York, and say happy Veterans Day to everybody. Booyah! to keep you focused on long-term themes. In honor of Veterans Day, tonight is our annual Salute the Troops episode of Mad Money. And since we have a military audience here, I want to talk about one of the fastest-growing businesses related to national security. It's called cybersecurity. I know that sounds a little lame compared with to real-world security, but in a world where no country's dumb enough to fight us head-on, they hit us where they can, which is often over the web. In the past year, researchers have spotted a new family of industrial control malware. It's called Triton, something that's specifically used to hack our infrastructure. Think power plants and the electric grid. At first, we thought it came from Iran. But last month, we found out that it came from Russia. And we found out because of FireEye, the cybersecurity company with the best forensics division in the business. When you get hacked, they're the ones who find the culprit. Now, FireEye's latest quarter report a couple of weeks ago was excellent. And the stock has been very strong of late. So let's take a closer look with Kevin Mania, who served as a computer security officer in the 7th Communications Group at the Pentagon and later as a special agent in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, where he worked as a cybercrime investigator. After founding Mannion, he then took over as CEO of FireEye not long after they bought his company. Mr. Mannion, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, how are you? It's great to be here. Uh, oh, thank you so much for coming on. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, we are here with an audience of veterans. You obviously have a tremendous history in the military. I want you to say, what does it bring to have people at FireEye who have worked for the military? Sure. Well, first, I want to thank all the folks that are in the military today serving the nation. You know, it brings so many things, Jim. I can tell you so many times when I'm approached with a challenge at work, I remember the phrase is beaten to me by the sergeant saying, attention to detail, Mandia. You know, so I've been yelled at enough and beat up enough that it teaches that attention to detail, it teaches servile leadership, and I've had most of FireEye's leaders meet four-star generals because there's a difference between leading when you're managing between win and lose and when you're managing between profit and loss. And I think there's uh, great lessons to be learned in leadership from the military. And why don't you tell us exactly your uh, progression in the military because the positions sure. you had are very hard to come by. What did right. you do to keep getting promoted and what should other <laughs> people do you know, who are yeah. in the military who want to follow your career? Yeah. Well, I can tell you, you, you know, there's a time and rank that you have to do. But when I got stationed at the Pentagon, uh, first it was 
you know, I was a second lieutenant, a second lieutenant at the Pentagon is kind of a rare thing. And I didn't really pick computer security because that was my dream job. I picked it just because I thought it was the best of all the choices I had. I was lucky enough I was given choices as a computer science person, and I picked computer security. But I wanted to blend computer security and my knowledge there with forensic science. So I cross-trained into the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Fantastic career. Loved what I did for the military. Quite frankly, I really still would be in uh, at the age of 27, 28, we didn't have many conflicts. It was 1998. Uh, I was given an assignment that didn't quite marry up with my skills at that time frame. So I chose the private sector, really with a short window to do so. Uh, but I respect anyone in uniform today. And I can tell you the military, I wouldn't be here in the position I have if I didn't serve. And how about how uh, trustworthy people are from the military, given the fact that you're Absolutely. in a job where you really don't want the people to switch to the other side? Not at all. I mean, I loved hiring out of the military. I started a company in 2004 called Mandiant. It was a self-funded startup, which is pretty rare these days, especially in cybersecurity. And the majority of the employees were coming straight out of the military. We gave them a great home. They had the expertise we needed. And it was just, you know, going from serving your nation in uniform after you took the oath to defend the Constitution to, quite frankly, defending the nation in corporate America. And now we just defend uh, a lot of nations globally. Well, let's talk about defending our election system. Uh, nobody mm -hmm. uh, knows about how people have tried to tamper, tamper with our elections like FireEye. Mm -hmm. I know that you found out, you right. found out that, about the Iranian influence. Tell us what you saw about right. this election. Well, I can tell you, you know, first off, we were armed and prepared for this election. And that's cross the board. That's FireEye. That's industry. That's the operating system companies, that's the state officials, everybody was shields up, borrowing the old Star Trek term, for this election. And so far, I haven't seen anything, you know, that would impact this election and its outcome. But uh, it was fantastic to see Fusion Center started, DHS, or Department of Homeland Security, was deeply involved. There was all kinds of task forces. We worked together. I feel the elections are uh, pretty darn secure from my perspective. Or let's put it this way, if something did happen, we would have seen it. Uh, going to the influence operations, though, that's a concern that we all should have. It's very hard on an anonymous Internet to police that, to make sure that not only are we getting truth in what we're being told, but also getting truth about people's identities. So it's going to be hard for us to combat those folks that want to influence in the hearts and the minds of the American people in an inappropriate way. Okay, so, Kevin, can you speak to us about uh, mm -hmm. something that I, I happen to be with some people who are in, uh, comp side people who worked in self-driving mm -hmm. and were saying, you know what, the most dangerous thing that we can do, the next bit frontier, is if we have self-driving vehicles, self-driving trucks, right. and they're hacked. And I said, we have great people right. in cybersecurity who can stop that. But this is something I know personally I'm concerned about. Where's FireEye in this? Well, I can tell you, all of industry is thinking the more you live connected, the more you got to safeguard it. But more importantly than just safeguarding, we cannot always be on defense. And that's why we've always had the theme it's going to take technology and people to safeguard us in cyberspace. I've added one theme to that, Jim, and it's diplomacy. We have to have international rules of engagement. We have to have nations that during times of peace, if they don't abide by certain norms and behaviors, we hold those nations accountable. Well, well, what does it mean to try to hold Russia accountable? I mean, you've spotted Russia doing things. Huh. Wait, how do well, we hold Putin accountable yeah. for what he's done? 
Well, at some point, you got to believe you, you push the envelope too far. There's got to be a line where neither side wants to cross it. But it is my opinion that since the, about the middle of 2015, We've seen several nations escalate their aggression in cyberspace, and we have to figure out as a global community who's going to be in the boat to behave a certain way, who's not going to be in the boat. And for those nations that condone activities that are just unacceptable or even unauthorized or unlawful, their citizens are going to have a very different Internet experience. Well, welcome and thank you for your service. Thank you for the amazing job that you're doing for shareholders at FireEye. That's Kevin Mandia, and Kevin Mandia has done a remarkable job as CEO of FireEye. Thank you so much, sir. Mad Money's back after the break. Hi, I'm Specialist Nick Buck from Camp Air John Kuwait. Wishing everybody a happy Veterans Day. Booyah! Surrounded by the bravest and the greatest. Happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. A happy Veterans Day to all my fellow brothers and ours. Booyah! I think it's important to thank all the brave servicemen and women who've risked everything to protect this country, who favor service, selflessness, team, and brotherhood. Every now and then it's worth remembering that some things are more valuable than money. It's time for a very special edition of the Lightning Round. I'm Cameron Samoa. It's about Raps Girls. One of the other teams. And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Skate down. It's time for the Lightning Round. Go ahead, sir. Let's hit me. Booyah. Booyah. Thank you for everything, Jim. You have taught me. Thank you. My ticker, I'm Larry from California. And my ticker is P.I. Okay. Wow, I just looked at this in pinch the other day. This one is way too crazy for me. In this market, I want the identification RFD. We like zebra, not this one. Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Yes! Little Charles in New York, I need your help, Jim. What do I do? I bought Roku at 32. Well, okay, Roku, you're still okay. Uh, It is coming down because it's one of those situations where you know, what's happened is, is that the market no longer likes these very high multiple stocks. I would sell half and then see what happens, okay? Because it really did have a good quarter. It was not a bad quarter. Yes, sir. Ivar Slugenoff's uh, Sergeant E5, uh, U.S. Army. Thank you. I've been trying to ask that question for 18 years when you were Kudlow and Kramer. Uh-uh. Buy, sell, or hold uh, Cypress Semiconductor. I think Cypress is way too low to be able to give up right now. I think the quarter's actually going to be okay. It's people don't like that group. But Cypress is doing well, and the management is excellent, and you can pocket that dividend. Yes. Sir. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My name is Joe Marcos. I'm RBC at Senal University. Excellent. Ticker, SAIC. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, my. I like that military provider, and I think it's really terrific. Uh, I'll tell you what. I don't understand why that company is still public. I think it's only a matter of time. I want you to stay along it. I would even buy some right here. Good idea. Yes, sir. Booyah, Jim. I'm Kevin from Fairfax, Virginia. My stock seems cheap. It's fallen so fast. What are your thoughts on Micron? No, not cheap yet. I think that you haven't seen the estimates cut. As soon as the estimates are cut, then we can look at it. Until then, it can continue to go lower. Yes, sir. 
Hello, Jim. Big booyah from North Jersey. Knowing that real estate is pulling back, what do you think about real estate development company Avalon Bay Community? You know what? That actually is doing well because people are having a hard time being able to afford a, a new home. So it's, that's why it's doing well. I think it's a good stock here. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jim. Lucian Vick from North Carolina. Okay. My stock pick is uh, Prudential, PRU. I like Prudential here. I like the insurers. We are in a deflationary environment, not an inflationary environment. The Fed's got it wrong, and I would say bye, bye, bye. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim, my name's Dave, and I'm from Marlton, New Jersey, Philadelphia Eagle Territory. You bet, and where my grandparents used to live. What's up? And Marlton Manor, fabulous. Boy, is that closed a long time ago. Go ahead. I'd like to know your thoughts on Eaton Corporation. Yeah, I think Eaton's good. The quarter wasn't spectacular, but it's a good industrial. Now, you got to deal with the fact that Europe is, is I think, teetering on recession. But that, all that said, I would hold on to it for the long term. Management's done a good job. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim. Bob from New York. Long-term fam, very long-term investor. Okay. I know you're lucky if you buy at the bottom or sell at the top. <laughs> but if you're a long-term investor, is this not a good time to start nibbling on NVIDIA? Yes. Okay, NVIDIA reports on Thursday. I think the quarter's going to be just okay. Not great. I think the next quarter's going to have a product gap because they got this Turing chip that is so smart that nobody's writing for it yet. But the answer is, I agree. I buy a little before and then a little after. Do not make a big commitment because the stock is in free fall, but I like your thinking. Long term, it's the best in show. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim. Jake from New Jersey. I was wondering what your thoughts were on ExxonMobil. You can't go wrong with ExxonMobil, but you have to understand, I think that oil's probably headed to low 50s or uh, high 40s. And there you'll be able to pick up a little bit more. So you can buy some now and some later. But the 11 straight days of oil going down is not a good sign. Exxon did have a good quarter. He got a great balance sheet. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is John Conway. I'm from Seton Hall. Do you like the SAP merger with Qualtrics? I have to tell you, I think that is one of those keeping up with the Joneses situation. I think they're trying to stay, stay in the game, stay relevant with Salesforce. I prefer Salesforce. I think you know, my AxiolarsPlus.com club, I'm going to talk about Salesforce when we have our conference call Wednesday and why I think that SAP, while good, is not as good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Jim. My name is Chad. I'm an Iraq War veteran from Plainfield, New Jersey. My okay. question is on the VNO. Which one? VNO. Oh, wow. Very interesting. First time people have asked about that in a long, long time. My, my, here's my, my issue. Bornado, Simon Property Group, Federal Realty, Kimco, they all act great. And that's because I think that they're not going to be able to get financing to be able to build a lot of other malls or shopping centers. VNO is right. And I got to tell you, this guy, Steve Roth, who runs it, he's tough. I like him. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim. Joey from Staten Island. What do you think about McDonald's? Oh, man, McDonald's is probably best in show. It would be the stock that we went at. We had a meeting this morning with my staff, and I said, you know what? If that stock comes down, buy, 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 buy. But it doesn't want to come in. Steve Easterbrook doing a great job. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. My name is Specialist Marcus Bowling, stationed in Afghanistan with 1st Striker Brigade Combat Team, 4th Infantry Division. I'd like to give a special Veterans Day shout out to my great-grandfather, Johnny Bowling, who served in World War II, and my father, Sean Bowling, who served in Desert Storm. on day like today is palpable and it leads to a horrific market. Why? Because we don't know 
who's doing what and why. For example, while the rest of the market got obliterated today, people were buying the consumer packaged goods stocks. Why? Is it because in, in, inflation has peaked or is it because they believe a recession is in the offing? Utilities hung in there. Was it because interest rates have peaked or because Fed Chief Jay Powell is going to throw us into a recession? Did people sell tech because the data center in the clouds have peaked or because China, a huge market for tech, is slowing? There's so many different ways to interpret this kind of action that it's awfully hard to tell what anyone's thinking, let alone identify patterns that you might be able to use to game the market. So let's try to figure out the motivations behind these moves. We have seen oil lead most commodities down, and that dive continued today. Too much supply is really coming to the market, especially with our country ramping up its exports. That could be a good reason why Procter & Gamble stock, for example, has been running, because it's a huge consumer of energy. I could say the same thing about Clorox, another winner. But it doesn't explain why people are buying the food company Hormel. I mean, that's a bit of a recession, or at least a slowdown. And you could read the rally in the consumer packaged goods names the same exact way. Still, whether the cause is lower commodity prices or a slowdown caused by more rate hikes, this group does well. How about the cyclicals? I think that unless we get a deal with China, these stocks will start doing badly because of China. That's right. So many of the industrials need the China economy to reaccelerate. But can that happen without a trade deal that does away with the tariffs? I doubt it, which is why the group's getting more and more suspect. Tech, very, very tough. The semiconductor stocks still act badly. I mean, a lot of people think they're in free fall. The tech that's connected with China, it acts terribly. And Fang, oh my, it acts absolutely the worst of all. Both tech and cyclical seem very dicey at the moment, given the Chinese slowdown and the four more rate hikes the Federal Reserve has planned for us. Put it all together, and you get a really ugly picture, hence today's heinous sell-off. We have precisely the wrong leaders in this market. The toothpaste stocks are going higher. Everything that does well in a strong economy, it's going lower. The other strong cohort, healthcare. That's not good either. The buying in the healthcare stocks has been voracious, and that's still one more signal that this slowdown may be on the horizon. It's ugly. Again, as I said at the top of the show, we need to see a trade deal with China or some sign that the Federal Reserve will wait and see before it hits us with more rate hikes next year. The problem? We've been getting weaker for some time, and the Fed doesn't seem to care. They're still very committed to the destroy the economy in order to save an approach. We just have to hope the Fed will recognize the reality of the situation and stop tightening after December. But increasingly, that's an awful lot to hope for, and it's looking as an impossibility when it comes to economic peace between the United States and China. And so another special salute to the troops. Well, our show comes to a conclusion. I want to thank all of the men and women who have served and are serving. I want to recognize someone in the Mad Money family, our director, Brian Russo, who served in the Air Force, and the E.E. Dry's case, who served on the National Guard. I want to remind you that these shows started because I was and am so proud of my dad, who served with the Sixth Army in the South Pacific. I was always so thrilled when he would come on and say hi and talk about what the war meant to him. Here's the pop, and for so many others who have done to help keep our nation strong and safe. Like I said, there's always more market summer. I promise to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.